You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Well, good day, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in. We are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan. Uh... Senior contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Smoke Signals podcast. And boy, a lot of ups and downs this week uh, with the Indians. Uh, a lot of downs as we've kind of grown accustomed to at this point, even though it's still frustrating. Uh, but it actually ended on a high note this past week uh, with the Indians taking a series in Fed in Fenway, going up against the Red Sox. And uh, it was a they, their bats really came alive the last couple of games of that series, so that's nice to see. And uh, joining me tonight, as always, is a co-host for the Smoke Signals podcast and chief editor for IBI, uh, Justin Lada. Justin, how you doing this week? Much better after the last two days, and I'd be much better if it stopped raining. But we don't have to get into weather talk again. We did we did enough that last year, and the Indians are at home. We have to deal with it at least. Right, exactly. And, uh, yeah, those last two days, I mean, you had the ninth inning rally uh, against the Red Sox. That was a, a very nice game. Very nice to see uh, going up. I know the Red Sox bullpen has had its issues this year, uh, but even still, you know, the they're, they're still an uh, American League juggernaut and still probably one of the most talented teams in all of baseball. So uh, to go on there and rally in the ninth inning, hit a couple home runs, and then Jordan Luplo with the two-run double to put them on top. Uh, very nice to see. And then uh, to go in there and score 14 the next day, uh, very nice to see. And then, oh, man, we didn't even talk about Zach Plezak and and uh, his debut. Man, was he uh, impressive for his first start. And uh, much earlier than I anticipated him making his debut, but he certainly looked ready after one start. So uh, a lot of good things came out of this series uh, in Boston. Yeah, I mean, that was the first time they'd won a series, or I should say regular season series, because we all know they won the ALDS there in 2016, but uh, they only played one game in Boston. I guess it doesn't really count, but um, this is the first, that was the first uh, regular season series they won in Boston since 2005. So that's that's quite a long time, and not exactly what we were thinking going in. I mean, after they left, after that Tampa Bay series, I think everyone was expecting to go to Chicago in a bad way and things really turned up for them which is good to see because they needed it after that Tampa Bay series it was getting bad it was bad I mean it will and not many to watch it too what was the uh, I think the attendance I don't think it was during that series but I think it was this the whoever came to town the, the Blue Jays I think came to town next for Tampa Bay they only had like an announced attendance of uh like a little over five thousand, which is, I think, the lowest in MLB in MLB for I don't know how many years, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, just more attendance issues in Tampa Bay, and even though they're in first place and playing really well, it's a shame to see that. But uh, yeah, they they uh, definitely uh, made their way had their way with the Indians uh, in. In that series, but uh, nice to see the Indians turn things around uh, after going, uh, what, losing uh, seven of their last uh, nine or something like that uh, after taking that series against Baltimore. It's some some number like that. I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but uh, they, yeah, seven seven of their last ten, rather. 
So uh, to take that series in Boston, very very nice to see, and hopefully heading into the series in Chicago against a, a lesser opponent, they should be able to uh, handle things better. And you know, you got Carrasco on the mound, who's pitched well against uh, the White Sox this year, and then of course Jordan Luplo. What's the over under on how many home runs he hits in this series? Well, at least tonight, whereas we're recording, you know, they're facing Manny Manuelos, which is like Jordan Luplo's personal punching bag this year. So hopefully that that keeps him going on a roll. And like you said, Carrasco's done really well against the White Sox. That's looking at his numbers, but he's. I think he had that one good game against the Mariners in Seattle, and then he's dominated the White Sox, what, three, two times in a row? I know back-to-back, but I don't think that faced him earlier in the year. Um, against everyone else, he's been kind of shaky. It's kind of weird. I know. There were too, many strikes. I, there were too I, many strikes. I think he gets fastball happy, and then he leaves. He'll leave a, a random slider, a random changeup. He'll leave in the middle of the zone. Right. And and... The funny thing is, when, when he when – he, Keeps the stuff down. He's unhittable. It's just he leaves a couple things up on his own, and guys just hammer him. It's like he'll dominate a game. It was a game against Seattle where they, they did win this game. He allowed four solo home runs, but other than that, he was absolutely dominating. I mean, he it was. I think they had five hits the whole game, four more home runs, but they didn't do much else against him. He's just having a very odd year. Yeah, I know, and uh, one would think with his talent and. With his stuff, he would be able to turn things around. Uh, as we record this, he just got his 1,200th career strikeout. That's eighth most in club history, and he's only 35 away from catching Charlie Nagy. So, uh, man, and with Carrasco signing a, a another extension, it looks as if he's going to be spending his career with the Indians. Uh, would we be talking? Should we be talking about Carlos Carrasco as a potential uh, Indians Hall of Famer? Uh, I mean, I know guys, someone like Corey Kluber should be in, two Cy Youngs, but Carrasco's starting to uh, leak into that territory as well with the years he's had uh, uh, of late. And I would think if he continues to pitch as well throughout the duration of his contract and potentially his career, um, Carrasco might be uh, in his Hall of Fame material. Yeah, I think he probably will be. I mean, what was it a couple weeks ago we were talking about Carlos Santana being in the Indians Hall of Fame? I think they should have both those guys going together. Those guys are two. I mean, obviously Santana is going to have the one year where he spent with Philadelphia, but um, it looks like he'll – well, I don't know. I don't know what his contract will look like after what he signed through next year, Santana is. Yeah. Um, um, the next... I, I would like to see both of them stay here the rest of their career. And Like you said, Carrasco at this point, I think he's probably done at the end of this contract, but you never know. Um, but, yeah, I, I think – both those guys are future Indians Hall of Famers, and they should go in together whenever that happens because they did spend some really good years here. Yeah, just an interesting sidebar there, just based on the uh, stat that uh, came across the came across the wire here. And uh, speaking of Carlos Santana, how about him finishing a single side a single shy of the cycle uh, in Wednesday's win over Boston? He went three for four with a home run, a double, a triple, five RBIs. He drew a couple walks Two and walks. had a, a strikeout. So the times he could have gotten a single, he drew walks. Isn't that uh, typical of Carlos Santana? Yeah, all those years people are complaining about how he walks too much and doesn't do anything else. Well, not so much anymore. And, and the two, I guess the two walks count as getting to first. I mean, those are only two times he reached <laughs> first base. The other times he just rounded first base. So I should give him like a, a quasi-cycle somehow. I think he deserves it because he was on base 
what, five, yeah, five times. I mean, that's hard to do. That's the money ball cycle. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, a home run and a walk, and I guess the extra base hits or whatever. But a home, a home run and a walk in, in, in one game is, is, is the money ball cycle, I think. Oh, very nice. And uh, Carlos Santana probably has a, quite a few of those in his career. Um, but very nice to see him uh, continue to hit, swing the bat. Well, I know he's kind of cooled off a little bit. He's only batting about 285, 287 versus, like, he was up over 300 for a while. But, you know, that was kind of expected. He wasn't going to continue to uh, continue his stretch. He's still almost 280. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. He's still uh, hitting the ball a lot better and more consistently than he has throughout his career. And uh, nice to see him continue that and uh, kind of uh, put an exclamation point on what has been a very – Nice stretch for him to start the season, and uh, I mean he's uh, for sure like the num the number one all star representative for the Indians right now, which I want to get into a little later in the show. The voting opened up for the uh, all star game, and yeah, I would think that Carlos Santana is the front runner right now, and uh, could be a potentially uh, the. Uh, the starting first baseman if he uh, gets enough support from the fans here. He should. I mean, he is by by far the most deserving player on the Indians. I mean, I, Lindor will be there just because of. The, I think the he'll make it as a reserve. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I haven't looked at the shortstop numbers yet, but I don't think he's going to get voted in just because he missed the time. Um, he's also not like having a fantastic year. He's having a good year, but he's not as good as he has been. Um. I, I think if you looked right now, I think for sure, I think Santana should be starting first base for the American League. If you if you go with what's going on right now, there's nobody in, in among first basemen that is doing what he's doing in the American League, unless you want to count them to the H's. I know Jose Abreu is having a a pretty solid year, but Santana by far the most deserving of any Indian. I guess any Brad Hand behind that, right? And uh, but obviously we we don't get to vote on that exactly, and. Uh... Terry Francona will be joining that uh, coaching staff. I mean, he, that's pretty much expected. He's a perennial as far as the all-star coaching staff goes Among um, in there amongst the names like uh, like a Joe Madden and uh, Bruce Bochy and uh, all the all those guys who've been around the game for a while, and they're, they're very well respected. But uh, back to Santana really quick. I would think that uh, with the game being in Cleveland and, you know, you said like his best competition would be Jose Abreu, who might be a – uh, at least comparable name, maybe slightly bigger name than Santana is, but I would think they're both kind of on a similar level. But I would think with the game in Cleveland, it would create more hype in the voting, and he would uh, get a little more of a boost as far as that's concerned from the fan base here and uh, get in and represent the tribe uh, in the starting lineup uh, at Progressive Field in July. So that would be that would be fun to see, but... Uh, yeah, he leaves all first base in the AL in batting average, which that's a huge surprise, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Miguel Cabrera is hitting 288, but Miguel Cabrera also has two home runs. So Miguel right. Cabrera is not exactly Miguel Cabrera anymore. So he's technically second among first basemen in batting average. Um, has a 141 WRC+, plus. that's number one. And he's first among all AL first basemen in uh, fan graphs war. That's good enough for me. Yeah, uh, across the board, that should be uh, a shoe in but uh, we shall see. The voting opens now, and uh, 
fans are welcome to vote. I, the voting format is you can vote for any player five times a day, five times per 24-hour period. So that's how that voting format shakes out. Um, if Luke Voigt or Yanni Diaz started first base over Carl Santana in Cleveland, that's just not going to end well. Oh. Especially if it's Yandy Diaz. Oh, if it's Yon- oh my goodness, if it's Yandy Diaz, there will there will be a riot in Cleveland. It will not be Yonder Alonso, who is dead last among all qualified first basemen in F four and um, later ones created plus. Just good saying. grief, he just fell off a cliff since he since his uh, he signed with Cleveland, didn't he? I mean, he had that looked like he was turning it around. He had part of that uh, fly that uh, uh, launch angle revolution and. Boy, I think between him and Logan Morrison, they were like the poster boys of that, and neither one of them have been really playing that well since. No, and I mean, there's a lot of things you can be mad about the Indians, what they did in the offseason. The fact that they got the White Sox to pay the rest of DeAndre Alonso's small salary this year, and they got a, they got a player in return for him who's you know, it may not be a big prospect, but they got they got that in the deal for Yonder Alonso from the White Sox, all because they thought they were going to get Manny Machado because of it. That's yeah. A... That, boy, that backfired, didn't it? <laughs> the, I mean, uh, I know the White Sox are up and coming, so that probably doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, yeah, not not the smartest move by Rick Hahn there. But uh, a couple of uh, uh, transactional uh, news to discuss to uh, cover here. We have Neil Ramirez being designated for assignment and set, being sent outright to Columbus. I mean, we all know he's I, I, he's so hard to figure out for me because there's things that I like about him. He's got good stuff and he really can get the strikeouts, but man, is he hittable sometimes. And then uh, you got Carlos Gonzalez also clearing waivers, uh, but he elected free agency, so he's out on the open market again. We'll see if somebody picks him up, but uh, did you or today? Oh, did they? I I must have missed that. Okay. Yeah, the Cubs signed a minor league deal, so we'll see how that goes. Okay, and so he's going to be back in the National League, and uh, I don't know. I I didn't I didn't like as we just said before. I don't think that uh, he was doing enough to really warrant sticking around. I know there's some people who look at you know, what he's done in his career and think, like, well, how could you let a guy like th- an MVP candidate like that walk? And first of all, you know, he's on the downslope of his career, clearly, and uh, he's very much affected by the uh, getting away from Coors Field. And, uh, I mean, you just look at his home away splits, and that'll tell you a, a pretty clear story right there. So uh, I don't want to get too deep into that. But I want to focus a little bit more on Neil Ramirez, him being outright to Columbus, I mean, I think you and I are kind of on the same page. We both are Neil Ramirez fans on paper, but it seems like this year something has, I don't know if it's because similar to Carrasco, if he's just leaving stuff over the plate a little bit more um, or what it is, but it seems to me like he would have good stuff and should be effective enough to be a key member of this bullpen, but it just hasn't worked out for him so far this year. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of that's kind of the story of Neil Ramirez's career, right? I mean, he's had some years where he's caught on for a few months and he's pitched really well. I mean, he throws 96 and has got an interesting breaking ball, and then he's just too hittable at times. He doesn't, you know, ever harness all of it at once. I'm really surprised that nobody picked him up. I kind of figured there would be a team out there who was had some injuries in the bullpen or had a bad bullpen or a bad team would pick him up. 
and see if they could kind of help him right the ship and then put him for a prospect. That's, like I thought Baltimore. Baltimore's bullpen is awful, and they are probably going to trade Michael Gibbons this year, you know, because only believe that they can really cash in on prospect-wise. I kind of figured they'd try to bring in Neil Ramirez and maybe help him become a little more useful and then flip him for something. But I guess it's good the Indians kept him for depth. You never know. Um, I think he still gets the $1 million he signed for, if I'm not mistaken, even though he's in the minor leagues. I'm not sure how that works. Contracts in baseball are guaranteed, but they're weird. So I was just really hoping whenever the time when it was time to cut bait with Neil Ramirez that – James Karinchak was going to be the reason why, and he's still in the oh, IL. Yeah. So, Unfor- very unfortunate for Karinchak because I did, I agree. I, I thought that his time was going to be coming soon, if not already. Uh, if not, we would have already seen him already up here, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility the way he was going. And uh, I think it definitely worked out in the Indians' favor, as, as you said, as far as uh, him uh, going outright to Columbus because as another. Uh, depth arm down there and you know as we've learned very dearly uh so far this season you can never have too much pitching and uh speaking of which uh Mike Clevenger uh throwing to live batters and looks like he is getting closer to uh being on a minor league rehab assignment and uh, probably could see him sometime next month I would imagine barring any setbacks so uh that's nice to see and uh, also, Bradley Zimmer is closing in on a rehab assignment. I don't want to get into him in a little bit because he's kind of been the forgotten man in this whole outfield equation. But uh, oh, look, Yonder Alonso just uh, hit a double. But uh, my fault. <laughs> my fault. <laughs> anyway, uh, but speaking of uh, uh, Clevenger, uh, I mean, great to see him coming coming back, and looks like he's coming back strong. Because um, the Indians, I mean, obviously they need him, but man. It, it's hard to uh, even put into words just how dominant he was to, before he got hurt, and he was on a roll that um, that was similar to uh, what Trevor Bauer was on when uh, before uh, he started to falter a little bit. I mean, between the two of them, it looked like the two of them were on a race for a Cy Young award, and then you know Bauer's had his issues with command, and then of course Clevenger got hurt. So uh, Clevenger coming back, uh, great. Great to see, and it looks like uh, no issues as far as uh, setbacks or anything like that. And he's definitely well ahead of schedule. I would I would imagine as far as his uh, a recovery goes. Well, they had said he wasn't going to be able to pick up a ball for four to six weeks, so that would have been like six weeks would have been like right now. Like this is the time he shouldn't just be able to play catch again. So he's way ahead of schedule. And that's huge for them because. They've had some, I mean, like you said, with, with Bauer kind of struggling at points, and um, Rodriguez has kind of hit the skids here the last few starts. You know, it's good they're going to get Clevenger back. Cause they, I mean, he was, like you said, I, I he would have probably had a little bit of a lead in the Cy Young from Bauer, at least in the early going, but Bauer also opened the year with two one-hitters in a row, so I don't know, but. Hopefully he's he picks the right where he left off because man the Indians need that. Just hope they don't you know push him too hard when he comes back because the bullpen's been good. There's no reason to make guys go 120 pitches. 
Right, and they, yeah, the bullpen has been going good. I think I saw the stat uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago uh, where they were second in the uh, American League in bullpen ERA, which I don't think anybody really kind of saw coming at this point. I mean, I don't think anybody expected them to be awful. I mean, maybe, who knows, uh, with how negative uh, the uh, perception has been this so far this year, but uh, they definitely didn't expect them to still be as good as they have been without the likes of Cody Allen and uh, Andrew Miller, but uh, they've they've held it together so far, So, uh, but they definitely need um, viable starting pitchers back in that rotation so we don't see that bullpen get overworked too early. And uh, you mentioned Jeffrey Rodriguez, or Jeffrey Rodriguez. I, I keep wanting to say Jeffrey, but I apologize. It should be Jeffrey. Uh <laughs> You mentioned his uh, recent struggles, and it's it's been. Is this a case of him coming back to earth? Because you know, looking at his Fangraphs numbers, he's at a four ninety nine ERA, and his uh, fielding independent pitching and his xFIP have both been right in line, only a little bit less than where his ERA is is right now. His FIP was at four fifty two, and his xFIP is at four eighty one. I mean, what? are we looking at here with Jeffrey Rodriguez and uh, are the first few starts we saw from him, is that, was that just smoke and mirrors? Cause I know he didn't have a high strikeout rate. I mean, six, six and a half uh, strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, not great uh, for a, a guy who has such a live arm as he does. And you certainly would expect him to uh, be able to get a few more swings and misses here and there. And uh, I think that based on those peripherals, I mean, I don't know what is going on with uh, Rodriguez and if he can recover, but the peripherals definitely uh, don't indicate that. Yeah, I mean, he had always struggled with command down in the minors, so it was pretty obvious that it was a surprise that he came out and was as good as he was because we figured the walks were, would do him in. I don't think, I mean, the walks have been kind of an issue. He's, he's been running up some high pitch counts you know, into the fourth and fifth inning, which, you know, kind of hurts him. Um, I, I think that's probably just what it is. I think, you know, teams have a little more scouting reports on him, but he's just not throwing enough strikes. Early on, I think he was able to throw some strikes, and that really helped him um, stay out of trouble. And the last few starts, his command kind of faltered. So if he gets back to that, I think he can, can turn it around. Um, it just It's tough for him when he doesn't really have a, a – a plus secondary pitch, you know, he's still about a finished product. And the Indians keep saying that just the, the more, you know, the more he's exposed to the big leagues, hit, hitters start to realize that his command is not that great. And he really is fastball heavy relies on getting ground balls and, you know, they adjust to that. So he really needs that secondary pitch to start coming along, whether it's the changeup or the curveball, and he just needs to command better. I think it, he probably still has a few good starts in him, but I think, you know, because we're going to transition to talk about Zach Plesak here, I think the next couple of starts for those two, you know, Plesak's going to get one more start, it looks like, at least. Um, I think it's really up in the air who gets to stay when Clevenger comes back. Right, and because uh, you got three pitchers right now you're looking at uh... – to fill two spots, and which will eventually be one spot when Cleverger comes back, we'll say, for the sake of discussion, in a, a couple of weeks. And what are we looking at there as far as who stays and who goes? Because, you know, as you said, Plezak is 
likely getting one more start. You also got Adam Plutko in the mix, who we know the Indians have a lot of level, a high level of comfort with as far as being a, a fifth, sixth starter type. Um, and then, uh, of course, there's Rodriguez. And what, how do his next uh, couple starts and how he's been pitching of late uh, factor into uh, his being able to stay up with the club? Because I think that... Uh, I think that Plezak, I mean, us being prospect fans, we might be a little biased to see uh, how these young guys come up and are able to play well. We, we always want them to come up and stay, but uh, uh, how much of how, how how much sway does Zach Plezak have with the uh, big league club right now as far as if he pitches well, say, another start, or maybe even gets a start beyond that and he pitches well, on all of them or pitches well enough to make a case to be able to stick around. How much uh, of weight does he carry as far as his uh, candidacy goes versus guys like uh, Rodriguez and Plutko? Well, I don't think any of us thought that Plesak was going to be up this year. You know, I, I don't think any, I mean, I, I for sure, not to toot my own horn, but I definitely thought Beaver was coming from last year. I think at some point we were going to see him last year. I was pretty confident about that. I don't think anybody had Zach Plesak making a start this year. Now, injuries play into that. You know, you can't predict that Mike Clevenger is going to get hurt and Corey Kluber is taking a line drive off his forearm. You know, none of us can see that coming. And then Zach Plesak doesn't get up here if all five guys are still healthy, obviously. Um, I think Beaver made it here last year, what, just because Tomlin was struggling. And I don't think – was anybody hurt last year? I think Carrasco missed, like, what, a start or something? Yeah, the, the whole rotation. what happened. Yeah, I mean, other than, uh, what, did Kluber miss any time late in the year? I'm trying to remember. Um, seems oh, like... yeah, you know what, he had to have that injection in his knee. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I Obviously, you know, you can't predict that those guys were going to get hurt the way they did for Plesak to come up. Um, but, you know, they, they I'm surprised they just decided, okay, Plutko's going back. After he had, he had a great start against Baltimore, even though Baltimore is a JV team, um, and then struggled in the second start. Even though he, he gutted through, he gave three first inning runs, and he kind of gutted through a a, a a typical Adam Plutko start where he does just enough to keep you in the game, but not enough to really help you have oh, get a win when your offense is as bad as the Indians had been. So that's that's what I consider Adam Plutko, and the fact they moved on from him so fast, they figured out that. Cody Anderson just wasn't quite ready yet. Um, what he leapfrogged? I don't. I don't think he really. He really leapfrogged Sam Henches. I mean, Henches was on the forty to start of the year, but no. I mean, I, had, he had time in Akron, so I wouldn't say that he leapfrogged him because Henches was still behind him in the development, and I. I think that him being on the forty man was more or less just uh, an endorsement oh, yeah. of his abilities rather than where he was in his development. Yeah, I mean, he was on there because of Rule 5, so it was more procedural than it was maybe the fact that he was ready. But I don't know, the fact that they went ahead and just said, screw it, let's put Plesak in his debut where Plutko would have started. And they like Adam Plutko. I mean, they trusted him last year at times. He made some starts when Tom was on the DL. And they put him on the road in Boston, of all places. I mean, I think they're... The fact, and they already they already committed to making him have a second start. So, like I said, I I think that it's up for grabs who 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 keeps Kluber's spot while he's still out when Clevenger comes back. 
as much as Jeffrey was good early on, I think they really like Plesak, and I can see why, even though there are still some things about his delivery and um, his slider that concern me a little. I think he's good enough to survive at the big league level at a decent rate, more so than maybe Adam Plutko at this point. Right, and, and, you know, the upside certainly is higher than Plutko and uh, perhaps even Rodriguez, who knows, but uh, I, I still say Rodriguez has the kind of arm where, you know, if he figures out how to maintain command and uh, develop uh, his secondary offerings, he can still be a, a pretty good option. And, and ultimately, I do think he ends up a bullpen option at some point, but that's a separate discussion. But of all the options, I think that Plezak presents the most upside as a starter. Let's put it that way. And, uh, you know, five and a third innings, four hits, one run, one walk, two strikeouts. Going up against uh, David Price, I mean, one of the, the league's best. And uh, in, in Fenway, I mean, talk about it. Uh, butterflies going through your stomach there. I mean, going up on... Ha- and an hour up. rain delay? Huh? And an hour rain delay in between his first inning? Right, exactly. I mean, to talk about uh, the conditions being very stacked against you, um, I mean, I, for your MLB debut, I, I think Plezak handled himself about as well as anybody could have in that situation. Yeah, he definitely... Got it through it, and you know he gave him a chance to win, even though you know he didn't get the win. Came out and only allowed one run, didn't strike a lot of hitters out, but that lineup doesn't strike out. So for him to hold it together against that lineup, man, is I mean, in, number one in Fenway Park, Fenway Park, as we've seen the last two days, is just an insane place to pitch because things get out of control really fast there, and that lineup's just so good. It's just so good. So he he really held his own. That was really impressive. And only four hits too. I mean, limiting to one run. I mean, you got your you got your way through five and third innings and give up like six or seven hits and give up one run. That's one thing, but to to actually only give up four hits and one walk. I mean, that's pretty impressive. No matter what your strikeout number is. Yeah, especially not missing that many bats. You know, he didn't, he didn't walk anybody. That's what got you know Rodriguez in trouble. Is he was walking guys. Plesac was around the plate. He was throwing hard. He, his fastball had plenty of movement. Threw enough sliders to keep him honest. The changeup was good, which, you know, we expect from him. You know, he's got enough movement on that fastball. Like I said, he, he's got a survivable all arsenal as a number five right now. Um, I don't know that it would work on any of their teams because, you know, he'd be expected to be a little bit better. But just because you have guys like Carrasco, Bieber, and Bauer that are still healthy right now, um, you know, it's easy to put him in the last spot in the rotation and just say, hey, go get us a quality start even though I don't know that this offense is consistently good enough to put up four runs to make a quality start stand up. Um, Let alone 14. Yeah, I mean, the last two days aside, we still don't know. Um, but I think he's capable of doing that, and that's all they're asking, because Adam Plutko, I think, I, Adam Plutko's a great guy and, and a serviceable six starter to me, but he's, he's Josh Tomlin without... Josh Tomlin, when he was good, had elite command, like Beaver level command. Plutko does not have that. Beaver's got good, or Plutko's got good control. We doesn't have the command that Bieber and Tomlin have. And when you have stuff like that, you just can't, you have to have better command versus control. I think police sex arsenal gives them a little bit more to, to work with. Right. And, uh, so 
we'll see how uh, that all shakes out. Of course, you know, we always debate these kind of upcoming roster situations that could develop, but it always finds a way to work itself out in, in the end. So, uh, it's, it, it always seems like uh, we're wasting a lot of time on uh, not a lot on something that probably won't be an issue when the time comes, but we'll we'll certainly uh, keep you posted on what's going on and, and uh, we look forward to seeing how this all shakes out. But uh, before we end the show, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about, first, uh, A.J. Cole. Um, I know his last uh, outing wasn't great and, you know, he hasn't looked as good as he did in Tampa Bay. Uh you know, I know it's a small sample size, and it's hard to react to one outing or whatever. But some people are starting to wonder if AJ Cole is really worth sticking around, and if he can really help the bullpen. I think he can. I think he's got the kind of stuff where he could be a uh, a viable bullpen arm for the Indians uh, the rest of the year potentially. But uh, he, obviously, he's got to not give up as many hits and keep the ball in the park. But uh, I, I think that uh, based on his first several outings, I mean, his last one aside, I think that uh, Cole has a lot to offer the Indians. Yeah, I mean, I love the fastball. I love the curveball. To me, he's just so he's so Neil Ramirez. I hate to say this, but he's so Neil Ramirez. The stuff is there. The consistency just hasn't been. Like, that outing at Tampa Bay got me, you know, my heart skipped to beat. Like, they had, it was a great outing. I mean, he was throwing darts on the outside of the black of the of the, uh, the plate, and Tampa Bay just couldn't do anything with it. Didn't really spot the curveball. Didn't get any swings and misses on it. Or you know what? You know what? He's if he can be better than Neil Ramirez because he's still in this roster. He kind of reminds me of you know obviously lost that fastball velocity last. Year. But Cole still throws fairly hard. He just doesn't throw the breaking ball enough to make you, to keep you honest off the fastball. Like the fastball is good. Just you know, get by that alone, unless you're a role as Chapman, um, or I guess now it's what Jordan Hicks who's throwing 105 now, or uh, Jose Alvarado even. But if he can just spot the curve ball, I, I agree with you. With you, he can be the power on the Indians and the bullpen, but. Clay just throws that curveball for strikes where he wants to. I think the fastball is going to be leaving him too vulnerable, kind of like Neil Ramirez. Right, and who who was the name you mentioned before you were cutting out there? Uh, what Neil Ramirez? You know who you meant? Who you were, the other name? The pitcher, the other pitcher you were, he reminded you of? Oh, I said Cody Allen when he's struggling because oh. I know Cody lost Cody lost some fastball velocity, but you know when he was good. He had the fastball velocity, but at times he throw the curveball for strikes. Cole's kind of the same way. He has the fastball velocity still, but sometimes the, he doesn't start the curveball enough, and that makes the fastball too vulnerable. You know, the way Cody Allen would get hit around when he had no command of his curveball. So, yeah, I agree. The arsenal's there. I just hope the curveball comes around because he could definitely be the power on they need. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, he's still on the roster for now, but uh, we'll see how that uh if he can rediscover that form we had in Tampa Bay and uh, against Tampa Bay rather, and whether or not uh, that curveball can become more of a weapon for him to complement that fastball, but 
I, I do think I like what I see. And I, and I think the Neil Ramirez comparison is, is pretty fair because, you know, the stuff is there. It's just a matter of him being able to do it, put it all together consistently. I mean, he looks like he can do it for a run of a few months like Neil Ramirez. But uh, to act, if he actually was able to put it together for a longer stretch, I mean, I think that – and be more consistent, I think that uh, he has a chance to be uh, more than what Neil Ramirez ever was. I mean, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Neil Ramirez is, is a little bit older than uh, A.J. Cole. I mean, a. Cole is 27. I mean, Cole is 27 and uh, Ramirez is 30. So, a, like 30. Yeah. yeah. So a few years older. So um, perhaps... Perhaps Cole, if he figures things out, could have a little more of a prime with the Indians and have a little more. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself there because, you know, he's only got a few outings under his belt and who knows what uh, his future with the Indians looks like. But uh, I would say just based on him being a little bit younger I, I and him, I think, maybe having a little bit better stuff uh, to offer, I think that this, is, this could be something that the Indians could really benefit from if he figures things out. But... Uh, I want to finish the show talking a little bit. We mentioned Bradley Zimmer uh, being close to a uh, rehab assignment here. He's still in Arizona rehabbing from the shoulder, and he also had a side injuries uh, that that uh, had kept him on the, uh, on the shelf for quite a while now. And, you know, now he's working his way back and trying to get back to Cleveland. Now, he's not going to come directly back to Cleveland because, uh, as some may recall, he – was optioned down to Columbus uh, last season uh, due to his struggles and with strikeouts and everything else. So I would think that after he's finished with rehab assignment, he's going to probably stay in Columbus unless they feel like there's a spot in the outfield for him. So uh, it's not a guarantee that he's going to come right back to Cleveland after his rehab assignment. But uh, So what the question I have is, what is the realistic expectation for uh, Bradley Zimmer at this point? I mean, he's 26 years old. He still hasn't quite put it together at the major league levels. has a lot of issues with strikeouts. I mean, last year he struck out at 38.6% in the majors and, you know, only six games in the minors, but that was up to 39.3%. The strikeout's way up, obviously, and he's got the tools and the talent, but if he keeps striking out, I don't know. What so what 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 do you say about this? Because I know there's some people who uh, are thinking that Bradley Zimmer can come back and and really help this team. I don't think it's a given because unless he is able to cut down on the strikeouts, that, that's still going to be a uh, an issue for him and is going to hinder his abilities. So I know I read that he had started to make some changes with the swing, but first, what I'm saying was this: imagine an outfield where. You have – it doesn't matter because they can all three play three, these, any one of these positions. It doesn't matter which, which, where you put them. An outfield of Bradley Zimmer, Oscar Mercado, and Greg Allen. Just imagine that. It's a lot of speed out there. It's a lot of speed. And, and, and I know the Indians don't you know, give up a ton of fly balls that stay in the yard because if they give up a fly ball, generally it's a bad thing. But um, that's that's a – heck of a defensive outfield and a lot of speed in the lineup. I, I would be pleased to see that. I mean, Tyler Naquin looks like he's ready to come back this weekend coming up, so I don't know. My guess is Zimmer's going, obviously, like you said, going to AAA. Have to see what happens there, but I know they did say that he was kind of closing his stance a little bit. I think he was too open, which was making it hard for him to 
finish his swing around the ball and, and you know, keep his, it was hard for him to keep his head in the box or, or straight all the time. So it sounds like he's also made some changes to his stance and his swing a little bit. So he needs time to do that when he gets back too. And on top of, you know, just making sure the shoulder's okay. So I think if we see Bradley Zimmer again this year in Cleveland, that means either he did things went really well for him in Columbus and he forced his way back out of the team or the Indians fell so far out of it that he came back and they want to see what he ha- they have in him going into next year. So it's either going to be really good that he's back or it's going to be really bad for the team that he's back. So probably no in between. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that end. Uh, I think that. Cause they have all, the, I mean, they have other options. Like I'm not, they're not great options, but Mercado's needs to, Mercado needs to stay. Craig Allen's looking good lately. Lupo can clearly hit lefties. They're hanging on to Leonis Martin for whatever reason. And then Tyler Naquin's going to be back in a couple days, and they got to figure out where he fits in. So I don't know where there's room for Zimmer at the moment anyway. He's really got to force his way back in. Right, yeah. And I think that pretty much says it at this point is that uh, I don't think it's really make or – I mean, maybe it is make or break time for Zimmer. He's getting older. He's, twenty, like I said, 26 years old. Uh, he'll be turning 27 in November, and I don't know what to make of him at this point. Obviously, he's not the uh, top-level first-round talent and uh, whiz-bang prospect that everybody uh, has expected him to be, uh, but he still you know, is in his prime, has the talent, has the abilities and the tools to be able to become a good player. Um, it's just a matter of him actually doing it, and I think that's easier said than done for Zimmer at this point, but we shall see what this uh, new stance and these new swing mechanics look like for him, and if they do end up cutting out down on the strikeouts, because I do think that that is a major, uh, a major hurdle for him to clear and a major obstacle that stands between him and becoming the player that uh, we all believe that he could be if... Uh, he's able to overcome it. So that's pretty much where Zimmer stands at this point. But I, I agree with you. I think that in order for Zimmer to be considered for the outfield in Cleveland again this year, I think uh, it will most likely have to come in the form of him proving that he's ready to come up and make another go of it, of being a productive outfield option for the Tribe. Or like you said, they're going to be so far out of it, they're just going to bring him up and see what they have in him uh, heading into 2020 and beyond. And I still say, though, if, if Zimmer can figure things out um, and he can still be a productive player, uh, an outfield, I know you mentioned Greg Allen, and I do like Greg Allen a lot, I, but I do think in the end at this point, I think he might be better suited as a fourth outfield type. But I really like an outfield of uh, Bradley Zimmer, Oscar Mercado, and Daniel Johnson, who is now in Columbus and could be an option either later this season or in 2020 as well. So I think that if you're really going to look into the future and see what that outfield could look like, I think that that presents the most upside of any outfield combination the Indians have right now between the big league options and their most immediate prospects. Yeah, I would not hate that outfield for sure. And, uh, oh, geez, Oscar Mercado just got hit by a pitch. I hope he's okay. Um, no, I, I 
I think Johnson's going to be the conversation. It's, it's very funny we're talking about what we about next year. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see Johnson this year. I kind of hope we don't because if, I, I still think if we see Johnson this year that that means things are probably going good. But I wonder if you get to a point, I hate to say this, do you – like maybe say Zimmer coming back and starts showing you something in AAA. Do, does one of those guys wind up being a trade option? Do you use one of them as an option to bring in something you need at the major league level, whatever. I mean, I know they need outfield help, but, I mean – you only can play a bunch of these, a few of these guys next year. You can't have six outfielders. I think Naquin's on options next year, you know, or maybe he becomes a trade candidate too. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just funny that we've been talking about how bad the outfield is, but you know, Mercado looks like a guy, and and Zimmer and Johnson could be guys, and and you know, what do you do with with a couple of these guys? Do you try to move them? And and I wonder if they end up going that route this year. As funny as that would seem. You know, with Zimmer and uh, Naquin, that would make sense. I would hope that uh, Mercado and Johnson aren't on the trade block if it comes to that because um, if there's one thing the Indians have done this offseason that I think they've done well is that, is that they've retooled and restocked for the future because I think that, uh, you know, even dated back to the trade deadline last year when they got Mercado, I think that bringing in Mercado and Johnson and Yafi Rodriguez and uh, even guys like Alex Call. I think they've done well as far as stocking up for the future. And, you know, I know that uh, as fans we want to say, you know, you want to, if you want to contend for a World Series, you got to be willing to uh, do whatever it takes and and deal whatever you have to try to uh, get there. I just don't know if the Indians are, after going through all the trouble of trying to bring in some guys to uh, stock the shelves again in, in the upper levels of the farm system if they would just turn around and trade them. Not that they couldn't get something good for them, because I think they would, especially the way guys like Mercado and Johnson have been playing this year. But at the same time, I think that, you know, I, I don't see, with the vibe that the Indians have been giving off uh, since the off season, I, th- I don't see them turning around and trading these guys when I think that they're... Uh, goal right now is to try to see if they can rebuild for the future with some of these guys while still trying to contend. I mean, we talked about how they're trying to play both sides of the fence here, but uh, I I just don't see them uh, turning around and trading one of those guys. Uh, I could see it more, like I said, with Zimmer or Naquin, though. Yeah, I mean, you got to eliminate some of them, I guess, especially because you have guys beneath that that are still coming along, too, which is good. I mean... <laughs> Not to get you know into the farm report side of things, but Oscar Gonzalez is still being Oscar Gonzalez, and Will Benson's hitting the heck out of the ball. So maybe they have some pipeline options eventually, and they can use this to their advantage, probably developing some help in the outfield. But it's just really interesting that we have some optimism about it finally after coming into the year, and it was just like, wow, this outfield's terrible. Like they might finally have some real options. There's something to be excited about there. Yeah, potentially, and uh, I think a lot of that is contingent on Zimmer being able to come back and play well, and like I said, that's not really a given at this point, um, but between Mercado, Allen, and now you know Daniel, Daniel Johnson slowly starting to figure his way into the mix, um, and I agree with you, I, I, I don't see Leonis Martin, as much as I, as much as I like him as Carlos Santana drives in uh, a run, looks like. 
And as much as I hate to say this about Martin because, you know, I don't want to say it for a guy who basically was on death's door at, at one point uh, last year, uh, I, I just don't see him being a fit for the Tribe moving forward, especially with them trying to bring up some of these younger options. I would rather see, you know, Greg Allen and, and Leonis Martin play every day in the outfield versus, you know, trying to run... I'm sorry, did I say I meant Oscar Mercado? Uh, Greg Allen and uh, Oscar Mercado play every day in the outfield versus Leonis Martin uh, at this point just because I think they're at the point where you should try to see what these young viable options can do and if they can help you. Uh, if you're trying to see if you can build a major league caliber outfield again, I don't think you do it by keeping guys like Oscar, by keeping guys like uh, Leonis Martin around. As much as I hate to say that, because I do like him. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can play him right now. And, and I know they're, they're playing a lefty tonight, so obviously he's not in the lineup. That's good because they they definitely need to keep him out of the lineup against lefties. But you know, with Allen starting to play well and, and Luplo needing at bats. See what you have in him, and Mercado needs to play every day. And like you said, you have Nathan coming back. I don't see where he fits, and his at bats have just been rough lately. It's been it's been tough to see him. And you know, like you like you talked about, he won throwing last year. I know it's tough. It's just you know, if the guy's not producing and you have other options, you just can't play him out there every day just because he's on the team. It's not like it's not like Jason Kipnis, where you're paying him $14 million. You know, he's got a contract for a very small amount of money. If you have to move on, you have to move on. And if you're trying to make the playoffs this year, did Jordan Lupo just do it again off me? Oh, no, just sorry. Live commentary. <laughs> <laughs> it was very close. Um, you know, I, if you don't have the money committed, I think you got to do what's best for the team. And, and if they have any shot this year, you got to put the best 25 out there. And if you have, if other outfield options are starting to emerge, you can't just put them out there just because on the team. You know, I under, like I said, I understand the point of Kipnis because he he makes fourteen million, and the Indians the Indians are just not going to cut someone who makes fourteen million just to move on. Um, so he's going to play, but that's not the case with Martin. I think they have they're somehow finally have better options. And there's not as many options uh, in the infield, especially the middle infield right now, as there are, are with the outfield. So that's what. Uh, makes those, that, those situations different as well. Yeah, I, I, I said, I, I just can't believe we came into the year with, with thinking this outfit was going to be so ugly, and then it looks like there's a real future to be had here by a couple of these guys. I, I'm probably just excited about Greg Allen's last two games because I've been waiting for him to do this for a while. But Daniel Johnson looks like the real thing. Oscar Mercado looks like the real thing. Zimmer and I think I think one of Zimmer, Naquin, and Luplo. I think you're going to get something out of at some point. Just depends on who. It's just crazy to me. They they finally have options. So some of this stuff went right or is going to go right. It's just some of the, some of the stuff in the process of getting there doesn't look good. But just hope it pans out this year before next year. Well, how about that? We're uh, ending the show here on a sl- on a positive and hopeful note. I mean, a kind of nice change of pace after the last the last couple weeks. So, uh, uh, before we wrap up the show, uh, Justin, um, I'm going to go ahead and go through the upcoming matchups. Obviously, the Indians are playing the White Sox as we record this here. The game's tied at two, and uh, unfortunately, Luplo wasn't able to. Uh, worked that same magic again. He came close on that foul ball. I know exactly what you're talking about as I was watching that at bat. But uh, 
as far as the uh, upcoming games go, uh, obviously they have a couple more coming up against the White Sox. You got Trevor Bauer going up against uh, Dylan Covey on Friday. Saturday, it's Jeffrey uh, Rodriguez again against Ivan Nova. Uh, Sunday, you got Zach Plezak going up against Lucas Giolito. Nice uh, matchup of the uh, young guns there. And after an off day on Monday, they have the Twins coming to town for a, what should be actually a very crucial series in the AL Central race. And, I mean, I know early June, it's hard to say this is a, a big series, but, uh, I mean, one, two, three, three games against the Twins uh, in Cleveland. I mean, this we talked about last week how this upcoming stretch was kind of going to be the make or break moment for the tribe this year. I mean, they're only half a game back in the wild card, so I guess it's not entirely dire a situation right now, but you know, there are nine and a half games back in the division, so this twin series I think is gonna be pretty big at this point of the season. And then they uh also welcome the Yankees into town after that for a weekend series. But uh your thoughts, Justin, on uh this upcoming twin series. Yeah, I mean we said it last podcast that this stretch was probably going to define their season with uh, the stretch where they played Tampa Bay, Boston, Chicago, Minnesota, New York was probably going to be play a huge role in where things go from here on out. And I think that's still going to be the case. They have 16 games against Minnesota. So if they're going to get back in the division race, um, you know, they don't got to sweep the series, but sure would look good. If they took two or three somehow. And, you get, and they might even have Mike Clevenger back by then. When, that series is not there. It starts next week. I don't think Clevenger will be back by then. But they won't be far off. If they're starting to find their hitting, they're going to need the hitting against Minnesota because their hitting has not cooled off. And their pitching is still pretty good. I mean, if they if they, if they they can come out of that series and not be where they're at right now, you said they're nine and a half out of, of first right. division. I think they at least have to get a game back in this stretch, maybe two. If they can get if they can get a game or two back at the end of the stretch when when they play Chicago, Minnesota, and New York, and get back to about seven, I think I think I'll feel good about their chances the rest of the way. But if they obviously if they dig dig themselves a deeper hole, then yeah, if we're it's talking about hard if we're talking about ten only, yeah. ten plus games back at the end of this stretch, I think. You know, I can't. We can't definitively say that they're done for the year, obviously, but it's going to be a very tough hill to climb from that point on. And uh, we'll see how the wild card race shakes up. But I, as I said before, with the teams in front of them, I mean, the teams in front of them right now, you got Boston, uh, I think Oakland and Texas in front of them right now. So, and it's going to be tough to. Uh, make a run at the at all those teams, especially uh, uh, Boston and Oakland. And, you know, depending on how the AL East race shakes out, that really uh, could really affect things as well. So, because uh, you got three good teams there, Boston, New York, and Tampa Bay. So whoever doesn't win that division, both the other teams have probably the best shot at uh, taking not one, but both wild card spots, so that's worth keeping in mind as well. That's why I'm less optimistic about the wild card race for those who were wondering. But uh, we will uh, see how this uh, remaining stretch uh, shakes out. We'll, I think at the end of the Yankee series, uh, we will really see where uh, things are, and uh, that'll be 
that'll be a uh, very interesting uh, podcast for sure once that comes around and we'll be podcasting at the end of that twin series as well so uh very uh interested and intrigued to see how that uh shakes out so uh Justin a uh, great show tonight uh do you have any uh anything you want to plug first of all Oh uh, for sure so this Saturday I'll have the first diamonds in the rough we'll have Ruben Cardenas on Saturday for the first one of the year yeah, and I think I'll actually be talking about him in this week's uh, uh, Four Thoughts. I'm still working on that for this week. I uh, got some thoughts on uh, Kai Tom winning Player of the Week. He's been really locked he might in. He went back to back. Yeah, they're really locked in the month of May so far. And he's absolutely crushing uh, right-handed pitching right now. And, of course, I'm going to talk a little bit about Please Act's impressive debut. And I think I will talk about a little bit about Ruben Cardenas, who's playing well in Lake County, obviously. And then uh, Bobby Bradley is uh, continuing to show good things in uh, Columbus, so a little insight on him as well. Um, Other than that, um, check out the Ducks Notebook was posted uh, on Monday, or Tuesday, rather. Um, Some thoughts on Kaya Tom there as well, as well as what's going on uh, this past week for the Rubber Ducks. And... I'll definitely be getting in on that Diamonds in the Rough as well, getting some of those players and profiles out there, guys whose names you may not know at this point, but uh, may become bigger names uh, as their careers and their development goes on. So uh, watch for that. And then lastly, uh, as always, follow the and subscribe to the Farm Report podcast as well. Uh, I know Corey and I took the week off for the holiday, but we're definitely going to gear up to get back at it. Uh, Probably talk about a lot about the uh, Kaya Tom, Ruben Cardenas, uh, maybe some Zach Plezak talk as well. It's 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 going to be fun. So uh, check that out. That posts uh, on Tuesday each week, and uh, a lot of fun prospect talk there. But uh, final thoughts, Justin. Uh, boy, the Indians just continue to to pump out pitching with the debut of, of Zach Plezak. It looks like another potential, you know middle to back end of the rotation arm that, you know, would be considered a, a much higher arm in other organizations. You know, teams would be hoping he could be a, a number two or three starter. The Indians can bank on it, or not bank, but hope that he can be a, a four or five in the next two or three years. And <laughs> I don't see any organization pumping out homegrown pitching like that. It's incredible. Um, Need to see that from the offensive side, and the draft is uh, next week. Next time we do our next podcast, we'll be uh, it'll be post first weekend of the draft, and we have Jeff Ellis back this year too. I'm excited to have Jeff doing the draft profiles for us because he's irreplaceable. Right? Oh man, his knowledge and insight on the draft is second to none. I I totally agree, and uh, it, it's so interesting because I try to follow the draft, and but I just don't. I don't. I just could not uh, invest all that time in following every single uh, prospect board and every single uh, college, high school uh, player and team and whatnot. It's a lot of time invested into uh, creating those mock drafts and and just gaining all that knowledge and insight onto so many different players. It's across uh, such a wide spectrum across the country. It's, It's insane. Yeah, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't do what he does. I'm, I think we're so lucky to have Jeff 
continue to contribute that for us and for Indians fans. Might see about trying to get him on one of these podcasts, uh, uh, be either before, during, or after the draft. Uh, probably after the draft because he's very busy with all that stuff uh, while it's going oh, on. Oh yeah. But uh, I, we'll, I'll, I'll see about getting with him and seeing if we can uh, get him on this show, at least maybe just for a brief segment to get some insight on, I'm sure, the Indians' first couple round picks and seeing uh, what his thoughts are there because, I mean, like I said, his insight is impeccable. And it's if you don't follow him on Twitter, Jeff MLB Draft, uh, give him a follow. It's definitely this time of year he is worth uh, – keeping an eye on his feed and seeing what kind of thoughts he has on these players. And then when the draft actually happens, uh, if you want to know, you know, who the heck this guy is, who you've never heard of before, uh, Jeff's definitely the, the guy you want to turn to. <laughs> yeah, Jeff so, knows. If you don't know who he is, Jeff knows who he is. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I guess that'll be a nice final thought. I'll give a nice plug to Jeff Ellis there and uh, watch for his uh, – prospect cap or as draft capsules coming up on the site here next week uh, always a busy time of year with the mlb draft so uh looking forward to that uh great show tonight justin uh glad we were able to get some positivity out on this podcast for a change and uh hopefully that continues and we could bring even more positivity next week and hopefully look for a, a good indians uh summer here and instead of what we've seen so far but uh uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at JT Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore Baseball. You can follow the podcast account at Smoke Signals IBI for all the podcast links, show notes, everything there. And uh, also follow the uh, site account at Official underscore IBI for all the links and stories, breaking news, retweets. Uh, you got it all there. And, of course, tweet at us if you have any questions about Indians, the Indians prospects, uh, we happen to answer them to the best of our knowledge. Uh, until next time, though, for uh, Justin Lada and the Smoke Signals Podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.